told you this is not my home, but I told you I ain't rushing home. I told you I ain't going home till I'm done and it's my time to go. I told you I ain't made for you, but I told you I'll be here for you. I told you I will write for you, but I told you I wouldn't die for you. What does it mean when I say that I am restless? That the fields are all white in a world that is dying. What does it mean that creation is groaning? That the trees are on fire, but the water is leaking beneath my boat. Hold on, bear a little while with me. So much to learn, but I'm learning to grow. By the way, in a little while I'll flow, flow leaving water from beneath the altar. Welcome to my job. Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. Behind me now is the song Welcome to My Joy, which was sung by today's guest, who you're going to get to know in a bit. Let me just say I'm super excited to have this conversation. So, special shout out to my friend and sister, Fumi Okubanjo, for um, making this introduction. So there was one, I was going through her status, and Fumi had done like a, almost like a lip sync to a song. Okay, one thing about Fumi, Fumi is very, very introvertish. And you hardly see her just go, like, singing and posting anything on her WhatsApp. And um, she was so into the music and, you know, my minute and just mouth and singing. I'm like, ah. okay, first of all, this, I really like the song. And number two, like, what's the song that is making for me go crazy like that on her WhatsApp status? And when I say crazy, it wasn't that she was doing anything crazy, but it was just out of element for me, especially on, on her social media page. So I, I, I you know, I chatted her up. I'm like, Number one, I like this. Do more of this. But who's this person and what song is this? She's like, oh, um, she, he actually works in my office and he has a link to his song. And I started listening to it and I'm like, okay, I can see why. I can actually see myself doing the same thing for me thing. Because, you know, I really enjoyed the song and they'll just, it spoke a lot. And for me, okay, lyrics will, the, the sound will, will draw me in, but it's the lyric that will make me stay when it comes to like um, a new music because I'm a, I have a thing for words. And his music for me feels like it's like poetry in a lyrical form. And of course, you can always tell that someone is a poet when you listen to their song. So today on the podcast, guys, is um, a singer, a songwriter, and a poet from Nigeria. He just released his album called Welcome to My Joy. And this was released February of this year. So everybody, please join me in welcoming Koli Ori Akwet to the podcast. Hi, Koli. I, you said my name well. I'm so impressed. This almost never happens. Really? It almost never happens. I promise. Yes. Really? Like, my name, my first name is I'm so proud of letters, myself. I'm so and proud you know of that myself. one, like almost nobody gets it right. Thank you so much, Mo, for having me. Hi, everyone. Did so you call me Oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm so happy to see you, and I'm glad you finally got this one. So let's even start with your name. Um, is this Crossover or Quaibom? Like, where are you from? Crossover. Okay, I got to the first time. So, um, just maybe walk us through, cause I think you're like the second person on the show that's from Cross River. And I think I love, I love just how Nigeria is diverse. But I think that if you're not living in Lagos sometimes, you don't really get to see all of that because we tend to kind of coagulate in, um, like geographical zones that were, you know, our forefathers were from, right? But Lagos, like I say, is a new man's land. Can you just walk us through, you know, how you grew up and, um, were you always in Lagos and, you know, what does it mean for you to be from Cross River? Yes. So, you know, more like, I'm from Cross River, but I almost never meet anyone from Cross River. A lot really? of the people I meet that from anywhere close to where I'm from are usually from Aquaibon. And uh, of course, you know, almost everybody thinks Cross River and Aquaibon. I know, I know. So, they did that separation yeah. in 1996 or so, sometime around then. So I people have really that in my mind. And, <laughs> And apart from that, the, um, there's also the fact that the closest relationship Aquaibon has to Cross River State is Calabar. And that is just one city in the whole state because they speak ethnic in Calabar and they speak Ibibio in, in uh, Ibibio, Anang, other variations, but the, the languages are similar. But everywhere else in Cross River State, they don't even say what are the same. Wow. Yeah, like my parents' villages are just about 10 to 15 minutes apart from each other, and they don't even say what you're the same. And this was just my experience. I was used to diversity. I was used to all and kinds of people. And they're from the same state. The Your mom and your dad are from the same state. They are from the same state. They are from the same local government. Wow. But they have, yeah, so, so, so it's, it's like that. And, but that's what, that's what I was used to. I was used to all kinds of people, like, existing together, and then you just know that people are different. But when I came to Lagos, <laughs> that's when I learned that if you're not Yoruba and you're not Hausa, you're Igbo. And for oh those God. who even take it a step further, and for those who even take it a step further to know that, okay, everybody in the South is not Igbo, then you get the people that say, oh, you're a five woman. I say, no, I'm from Crash Valley, like, a five woman. Basically, the same thing. So it's, it's, I get that, like, for some people, it might not be, but be, particularly because of how diverse we are in Crash State and also the fact that my people are a minority and then uh, even within our state, even minority within the local government, there's not a lot yeah. of us. So yeah. having, um, even in our local government, area, not a lot of people know us. So being identity matters, we don't really do English names. Every single one of your names would be, would have to be a tribal name, would have to be um, uh. a tribal name. Too. So it's, it's very important. Culture is very important to us um, because it's basically lost. Um, my middle name or my last name, we don't know the meaning really? because a lot of the language is lost. Already, yes, oh. a lot of the language is lost. And so the communities are sometimes get absorbed by other communities. So culture, names, things like this are very, very important. To you. Like, that's why I always validly say, no, I'm not from Akwaibo. I guess it needs to validate something. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, that's that. So yeah, I grew up in Calabar. I was in Calabar till I was in Calabar till till I turned 17. But that's when I went to uni and in Cyprus. And so till then, I, till I was 16, I hadn't left Calabar. I don't think I left Krushiva or Aquaibon, maybe Aquaibon at the most. Mm. But between 17 and now, probably I've traveled to almost every part of Nigeria. Wow. Um, and I've become, I've, I've caught a bit of a travel bug. But yeah, that's. I mean, so, I mean, thanks for that education. I, I, I know that, you know, Cross River and Aquaribom, 
was different. And it was maybe not until not too long ago that I realized that even within those, there's so diversity of languages. I think my friend who's from Akwaibom was telling me how many languages are spoken. Because to us, you know, if you're a person about Akwaibom, I only even thought that they spoke only just a few languages. But it's always nice to, you know, um, get all those. True. And um, your I friends guess. have done well to tell you. Oh, the yeah. Difference, <laughs> and you have done well to learn. Yes, oh, yeah, it's so yeah, nice I to learn. We keep Trust learning. Me. We have to keep learning. And I'm, I'm, this is why we like to have more people on the show to kind of talk about what their culture will mean. And I, and I'm imagining that being a minority of the minority, you always have to feel like you have to keep teaching everybody you meet that, okay, one, I'm not Igbo. Two, I'm not from Akwaibom. Three, I'm from this, you know, little place, but it means this much to me because growing up, I didn't see myself as the same as everybody. We had our own, you know, distinct set of culture, how we, you know, explore the world through food, through language. But I mean, it's, it's always refreshing to hear. So what does your first name mean? Even though you said your middle name, you can't really, you guys don't have the meaning for it. I'm so sorry so that my, that my language is, is, is going down. You have to tell me what language that is, by the way. <laughs> so my language is Oludumo. Um, and Koli means, so, uh, when I was born, I was called Koli Kokan, which means God's goodness or God's favor. But, um, I only Koli got into my birth certificate. So Koli means goodness or favor. But yeah, the full name is Koli Kokan. Wow. That's, that's, um, quite, Ololumo, right? Yes, Ololumo. Is that like under the Ikom language? No. Oh, it's, it's one of the languages in Ecom. I'm so impressed. I'm oh, saying really? check you out. So, <laughs> oh, so I didn't know that's land. Well, shout out to my friend. Um, I call her sis. She's the one that I mean, I learned that from her recently as well. You know, so I know there's Ecom, there's um, um, Oluluma, and I think there's um, is it Okuni also? Well, maybe I'm wrong. Anyways, I'm from so, Okuni. You're from Okuni? No, you're. Like, I think I'm trying to be coordinated, but I'm about to, like, legit freak out. I haven't, like, met anybody that knows where I'm from. Like, never. I didn't wow. know. See it again. My friend, my friend informed me of that. Anyways, so. Wow. So for me, like, I've, I've never met anyone who is not from Crushiva who knows about, like, Crushiva knows it. I'm so impressed. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank I need, you. like, I, a different before this. This is so nice. I didn't. I didn't. Because remember how you filled your survey, like, maybe, like, last, like, two days ago, and I, I'm actually currently at a conference. This is a hotel room. I've, I've not had time to really dig deep into it. But as far as the language and your culture, I feel like this is the, high, the peak of my intelligence. Because if you ask me more things, I might just disappoint you. So let's stop, let's stop here for now while I'm still in the peak of my, of my wonder when it comes to you. So, you moved to Lagos and and then you travel around Nigeria. I mean, I think that's amazeballs. I think I'm a travel freak, but I haven't really conquered a lot of places in Nigeria. Not because I didn't want to, but you know, as a time when I was trying to do all my travels, some places weren't quite stable. Um, but I'm curious, you know, what took you around Nigeria quickly and what would you say was your most interesting find? music so um i went to just because someone asked me to come sing so I, I accept invitations based on interest and availability so if i'm available then i'll i'll accept it because it's interesting to me so there are, there are generally some kind of some kind of events that 
my marriage and saved you because it's good for your career, but there are some things I immediately say yes to because interesting. So somewhere, an invitation to come stay somewhere. Intre- and so I have, I've always known that I, I always felt like I like the North because, um, it's the closest. Generally, whenever I travel to the North, I remember Calabar. The people um, are generally sweet. They are not trying to, you know, they are, there's no nothing yeah. impressive. They open yeah. when they open, they close when they close. They don't, there's no rush to become anything. Well, maybe the parts I went to, but the people I met generally have the same kind of vibe. Um, yeah. So usually I would travel because of music or because of work. So that's what's taken me mostly to that. What was the most interesting thing I found? Yeah. That's quite an interesting question. The most interesting thing I found is how Nigerians are everywhere. You know, in the South, we are told so many things about um, the North and how they are so different from us. And, you know, they sell you an image of what other religions even look like. And um, and so we buy it and we fear them. And because we fear them, we oh. start acting out towards them. But the more I travel around Nigeria, I remember when I went to Middlebury, the first thing that amazed me was that I was here in Fireboy and Joe. <laughs> These people, and, you know, the image I had of Medu Grease, like bomb blast, you know, people were praying <laughs> even in the plane. When we were getting there, like everybody had their rosaries out and their beads and we're praying. And like, you know, there was so much fear even in the um, flight. And when I got there, it was just a normal place. There was nothing magnificent about them. There was nothing very, very spectacular. They're just Nigerians. So um, I think that's one thing that has amazed me about Nigeria, the more I've traveled, is how very similar we are. We like the same, we generally like the same things, you know. And so, yeah, Lagos is different and then every other place in Nigeria is Nigeria. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, I won't knock it. I'm even, even though I'm from Lagos, and I think you're right. I think we have so much more in common than we give ourselves credit for. And it's sad that what we do to ourselves within Nigeria is no, it's no different from what, you know, the Western news outlets would say about us. Like this, you know, single narratives and general um, stereotypes. But until you leave and you explore those places, I mean, I I did my NYC orientation in Chigawa, and I would go to Kano, you know, once in a while, and I loved it. I love the people there. Their simple way of life, you know, and and just you know their openness. And if if a Northerner likes you, they give you everything. I mean, short of their spouse and all that, they don't have a lot of fluff around them. There's no pretense, you know. You can always tell whether they like you or not. And sometimes I miss that simplicity. And I haven't grown up in Lagos. I feel like those things are kind of eroding. I feel like I don't live there anymore. But Lagos for me was always like an official bomb, um, like bubble. And then I lived in Ibadan for a while. I worked in Ibadan as well. And I loved Ibadan. Not, it took me a while to find love with the place because I had to find ways to kind of make life happen. And that's because I was a chronic negotiator. And moving to Ibadan was almost like, what is going on? But after a while, I'm like, life is easier. You don't have to run after a cab. You know, you can just, you know, take I'm going the time. next week for the first time Oh, you should. Man, it's fun. It will blow your mind. It's, it's different. And make sure you, if you go to the market, make sure you don't price too much. Cause they will come for you. You buy them people and their mouth. You know, they will come for you. Okay? So make sure you just give them the money. Don't price it. And if you're not going to buy, don't touch it. They will come for you. So, uh, <laughs> we've talked about, um, talked about, you know, you growing up. We've talked about um, your travel. Now, remind me quickly from your family. How many siblings did you have, do you have, and what's your position? So um, I'm number three, okay. and I have um, three other siblings. 
So okay. we are a boy, a girl, me, and another girl. So it's boy, okay. girl, boy, girl. Oh. And let me tell you something interesting about my family. Uh, birthdays are February, March, May, June, July, September. What's going on there? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know, uh, I don't know but like they just uh, they, they need an order, I guess. I, I can see where your order comes from. Imagine just how they have to plan for birthdays. Like I was like. September, we can take a breather. And then February, start again, you know. Well, that's very interesting. So, um, you schooled in Lagos, it seems like, right? Like your university training was in Lagos, was it? Oh, you went to Cyprus, you said? Oh, no, I went to, yes, Green American wow. University in Cyprus. Okay, what did, did you, I know you have a law degree as well, right? That's where, I, that's where I got my criminal degree from. Okay, so why Cyprus? I mean, I know Cyprus, Turkey, and um, Malta, Becoming more of a spot for Nigerians to go study. But what made you choose Cyprus and, um, yeah, and then your degree in law? What, what was that all about? So I, I, I had no interest in um, going to Cyprus. I didn't even know anything about Cyprus other than I knew that there was a place called Cyprus, but that was about it. Um, why did I go to Cyprus? So at the time I um, finished secondary school, I got admission to Unilag. And, um, yeah, I, I got admission into Yenilag and, um, to study law. Um, but then there were some issues within the, between the registration time and the time to move into the dormitories. I had some very serious issues that meant that, like, I couldn't resume, um, in the law faculty. And I was told to, um, go do international relations for one year. But ahead of all these deals where they tell people, go and do this, or, and you never yeah, you graduate from yeah. you graduate from the course that I do. Yeah. So I had all these things. And, and so I decided not to um, to do that. I thought of Lasso. So Lasso also offered me a place um, at that time. Um, I also thought of doing an A-level program um, and then perhaps go to the UK the next year. So I had those options. And then I stopped for a minute and decided to just go look online to see what's available. Then I said, in schools in Canada. And that, Canada wasn't very big at that time. This was 20, 2010. Oh. So Canada wasn't so big at that time. But then I applied to some schools in, um, in Canada. And, um, and then I was waiting for them. I waited first month, second month, I didn't hear. Third month, I didn't hear. And then as I was, as I, while I was waiting, someone called me and said, ah, that you know someone in Cyprus that, um, <laughs> that you know someone in Cyprus that I should try to get in. And so I just set my things and, yeah, um, my credentials and everything. And I think the next week I heard from them and they were like, oh, yeah, 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 you could come start, <laughs> um, in the spring, in the spring semester in February. So yeah, it didn't, it was, it was easy to get in and I was happy to go. <laughs> so that's how I ended up in Cyprus. It wasn't like a very well thought of plan. I didn't know anything about the place. I did. I just knew one person who had gone there. Someone who knew someone who had gone there and everything. So yeah, I went. <laughs> oh wow. Wow. So were you in Nicosia or um, what part of Cyprus were you based at? I was in um, Kyrenia. Kyrenia. Kyrenia American University. That's what. Okay. So the, uh, I was, was in the Cyprus Turkish like? part. Oh, Turkish oh, Spire, I was going to ask that. Um, what was Cyprus like for you? Cyprus was quite interesting. So oh, initially, it was too much for me because I, I expected um, Obodo, I expected Obodo Ibo to be more you know, lively. <laughs> and then I, 
so when I was going, I didn't think I was going to, you know, a holiday resort kind of place. I thought I would go to a place where I see buildings and things happening and so on, and comments and people selling and buying. But then I went to this place where um, they had hotels, resorts, old white people, you know, and so like I just could not, um, I just could not like. I just could not, I, it took me a while to just adjust to the fact that I would be in this place and like, people didn't come out much, there wasn't much happening, you know, but there didn't seem to be much happening at that time. There was also a very long drive from the airport and most of the things I was seeing, well, I was seeing hay fields. And so I was like, this looks like some South, some Southern American, <laughs> um, um, some Southern American place, yeah, that, and then I didn't see so many black people, you know, so, oh, I, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's oh, important yeah. to see another black person. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Safety in numbers, honey. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's why it was overwhelming at first. But eventually, I said, love it. There was the Mediterranean Sea on this side, and then there was oh. mountains on the, it was, um, it was, it looked like a postcard. It was, um, it was so beautiful. Oh. And, um, school was, school was like a slice of some other place inside some holiday place. So school was very serious. Things were happening there, very academic, but outside was just like enjoyment. <laughs> Basically, that's what was happening there. But yeah, there was a, eventually, like, I got to love it. I loved it with my entire life. Okay. Yeah. So, you know how, um, universities, for example, can be quite, um, like a, like a bubble in, within, like, the outside of the university might be, you know, a particular stream of people, but within the university, you're supposed to have, like, that diversity, like, universal diversity. Was that replicated in your university where maybe there were more international students or people from all over the world and you could, you know, maybe feel um, at least both of all of you, like international students, for example, you have that shared experience of, oh, misery and some misery loving company because you're always, always learning from home. Was that like that in your school? It was. So there were, there were a lot more, um, international students than I expected in, in, in this school, you know. I didn't, so, <laughs> yes, there were a lot, there were Russians, there were, um, you know, there were all kinds of, there were Arabic people, there were all kinds of people. I met so many people while I was there. Um, yeah. and the, the black community at the time I went, the Af- well, not black, African community, because, um, we don't really know we are black, especially in Nigeria. Yes, so yes, why, we don't, we don't. Yeah, why, why related more to was African, not black. So the African community was not very big at the time I went. And the, the, at the time I went there, but by the time I was leaving, there was, right now, like, at the time I was leaving was when Cyprus started becoming a thing, you know, you stay here, people go in Cyprus, Ukraine, you know, and then, yeah, this, there were, that's when issues started coming up. There were a lot of issues, you know. But um, at the time I went, not so much. So the, the community was small, but it was sufficient. So it was small. We were close to each other. We looked out for each other. We went everywhere together. Went to church and it was church. You know, there was there was enough for us. We had our own thing and, and we had a blast. Okay. So and you studied law, and I know currently you work with Fumi. So what do you do? For those that don't really know, what you do? So for the past. Five years I've been in-house counsel, so I'd um, had um, taken the job because of my interest in IP law and technology law. Um, but currently, as of last as, for, as of last month, I started heading partnerships and institutions. So I've been I've been doing a couple, a bit of that, even though I was so 
for those who are in-house counsels in startups, you know that it's not every day that your work is like it has like the legal flavor. Sometimes you do B2B deals, sometimes you help with partnerships. And so I've been doing a bit of that and so I was offered the role and I like I, I was happy to take it. So because I, I wanted to do something a bit different. So now I head the partnerships and institutions department. Imagine that you're also measuring your love for, you know, technology, IPN and also I'm using a law degree as well. So that's your yes, day job. So using you're, it and comfortable using it. That's great. I mean, not many people have that luxury and to be able to do what you love and to be able to earn money from what you love, I think that's amazing. So let's talk about your creative side. You are a singer, a songwriter, and a poet. And Nigerian um, entertainment scene as a way, and I hate to lump you under that, but it's the broadcast story for it. Has really seen a lot of boom recently, and then with you know social media being at the very far end of that, how would you say it has been like for you? And especially in a space that is becoming, I want to say, ultra saturated, and you have to really work twice as hard to almost like make your voice distinct. I mean, nothing is really new under the sun, we know, but what makes it really different is the personality we infuse into it, because there's nobody quite like Kali, right? So, can you just walk us through what it has been like for you? When I moved to Lagos in 2017, I moved to do music. I didn't come to use my law degree. Hey, I didn't come to. Uh, I didn't come to work. You tell your parents to work. <laughs> I came to sing. I came to you know. I was so so when I came to Lagos, a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I was like, I'm this. You know, I have this unique sound. That I have this. I'm a child of um, academics, and they're not really about that life, you know. And, and so I, I think they kind of, they knew, so music was part of my education. I did music all through primary classical music program when I was in high mm-hmm. school. And so it's, it had always been my life, and they were all aware. Um, and in my family, people also sing, so it wasn't the thing. However, becoming a professional singer is a whole different ballgame from learning piano and learning <laughs> from going to singing classes. So, of course, like, they encouraged me, but they didn't think I would take it so seriously. So, I remember the first time I tried to audition for X Factor. I had just finished secondary school. I was about 16 or 17. I didn't, I wasn't allowed. I wasn't allowed oh, to go to okay. it because I was at my auntie's house and tried to, you know. So, I've always felt like, you know, I had this um, thing that the world was looking for. And, you know, once I just hold the mic, everybody's going to know that's the guy. And that's the kind of way I came to Lagos, and so I was in for a rude shock. First of all, wherever you think you are, there's about twelve thousand of you who are ready to accept less. Who are ready to accept less and ready to work more. Like in this, like they will probably be sitting by you in the same place. You probably be shocked by the amount of talent that sits in the energy Lagos energy space. And so I was not the only one thinking of coming to Wild Nigeria. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I the, so the first encounter for me was humility. I had to learn. Oh. I had to learn humility. I also, I also kind of, one other thing I learned was that um, there is no shortcut. And even if there was, I should, I shouldn't want to take it. Thank you. Know? Yeah. Because if I don't learn on the journey, I'll learn on the job, and I'll rather learn on the job. On journey. Yeah. I'll rather, yeah. I'd rather fail privately than publicly. You know. So, <laughs> um, so I came to Lagos. I met with a couple people. At that time, I just done a little project. You know. Um, I came to Lagos. I, um, I. <laughs> 
funny story. I, I met Kobanks, I met a couple people, played yeah. my music for them, and they're like, hmm, you, okay. your sound seems, it seems like you have a fresh sound. You have, so I was asked, do you write poetry? I said yes. I thought that was a good thing. Apparently not. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> oh, for those that don't know, so, yeah, very popular um, producer and a singer in Nigeria. We have no Nigerian audience. I wanted to um, explain who Kobams was. Sorry, go ahead. Kobams are super. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm producer too. I make. So I tried to, you know, get into like the space with like somebody big, you know, get into the big end of music immediately. I tried, so um, I think one of the producers I met said to me, you know what, we need to know how an audience is going to receive you. Go audition for The Voice. So I went to try to audition mm. for The Voice. Um, I waited like almost 10 hours to finally get, um, by the time I got in, the judges were not seated. They had like, you know, <laughs> left only this one guy. And then he was like, sing. I was like, wow, is that how it is? And so, like, I already knew yeah, I was not going to get in face of a complete disaster. And so when I went home, I thought about it, and I thought of just um, what I was trying to do, not just because, not me trying to be successful, but me trying to, like, you know, just get, go straight to, you know, the big, play, without any portfolio, without any... I, I had nothing. I'd done nothing. I'd worked with nobody. I'd not paid my dues in any way. And I just wanted to, so why are you, this is some people's story, but it was clear to me that that was not going to be my story. And I needed to, you know, just sit, try to engage with my own audience, do my own thing, you know. And I think that was the point I realized and decided that I was just going to focus on growing as an artist. And, um, that is my only job. You know, so when you say, um, um, so we get managers to help us with the business side. We go to labels. So there are several things that are another person's job, but my only job as an artist is to grow and continue to create. So, um, that's why I, I focused on it. So I first went to go and dust my CV and look for a job because I was very hungry. Oh, <laughs> um, artists are not making that much money, especially artists that are my colleagues. You almost make no money. Even when you start getting invited for events, everybody expects you to perform and, um, do stuff for free. Nobody is expecting that you're going to take any money. That was one of the things I learned. <laughs> that you almost do not make money as, like, you make almost no money as an underground artist. So, um, I decided to get a job. I started working. Um, I made sure I let everybody know I'm a singer, I'm an artist. So if you ever see me, um, so I was, I worked at a traditional law firm. So if you ever see me, <laughs> um, on social media, you'll not say I came to drag the friend's name on the streets because you know I'm a lawyer. So it's very possible that, um, your work and your art could clash. So it's important to disclose on time. So people are just prepared. They know how to, you know, um, how to engage with that part of you, you know. And so I was always very open about this. I, I, I still did music at night, the morning weekends, whenever I could do it. And sometimes on my way to work, I wrote I wrote a poetry book, and the, the entire book was written on my way to and from work because we spent a lot of hours in traffic in Lagos. So I learned to you know just turn like my lemons to lemonade. But um, my that's been my journey up until now. But now I wouldn't say that I worry too much about what the industry looks like um, because it's what it is. And to be honest, I don't really know so much about it. But what I know how to do is I know how to create art. And so that may sound a bit naive, but that's really what my focus is on. That's as much as I can take right now. Oh, wow. I mean, I think you said it best. And it reminds me of something um, Jordan Peterson said about creatives. And he said, like, if you're a creative person, find a way to make money and practice your craft. 
if you don't use your creativity, you'll be miserable. And and I think that's where the depression might set in. There's nothing wrong for you to um, make money from what you're good at. Maybe if you don't find a way to make money from what you're good at, have a steady source of income. Otherwise, you're, you'll suffer. I mean, sadly, we live in a world where you need money to get by. And I'm glad you finally found that out before it was too late for you. So, <laughs> um, to say it simply, we'll be saying that I love your work and I love your, I love your sound. I love your words, especially. And, um, you sing the way you also sing, you sing with such simplicity, but of course, it carries a lot of meaning. And I, I'll find myself just sitting, just, I mean, that particular song, the one beautiful. And it, it just, it resonated with me. And I remember, um, um, sharing with my friend and he's someone that is, you know, quite critical of, of songs. So I always make sure not to, I always make sure to come ready when we talk about music. And we have different tastes, like we're going to be different people. But he, he gave a comment, he was like, wow, he really likes the song as well. So let's talk about your creative process. Let's talk about just even writing the words and putting them together. And I know you and I have had this conversation, but because the, the audience weren't there when we were doing our WhatsApp chat, who would you <laughs> say, who were the artists would you say have shaped your creative work? And I know, I know, I think I know, I know these two people because I conf- you confirmed that for me. I kind of sensed it for me. I'm like, this guy has to be a John Dalian fan. Okay, so anyways, I'm giving one away. But who are the artists who shaped your work again? How would you say it was, it's been like for you not to really be too much under their shadow? You know how I, for me, I have some people that I really admire their art, but I always have to take breaks away from them because I don't want to be like another spitting image of them. Like I honor their craft and they've helped me shape the way I write and think about the world, but I don't want to really be under their shadow. Otherwise, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be like, oh, just another person. That is not going to be me. So how's that been like for you? That push and pull, like, you know, want to co- come closer, but you also want to be away from another light. So these are like two questions in the world. So, um, thank you. So, so thanks so much more. Also, thank you for sharing my music with your friend. Um, I have, I, I, I appreciate that because that's usually, that's generally how people have, um, gotten to know about me. I almost have no marketing whatsoever. Um, but, um, What's my creative process? Who are the artists? So what I'll say about my sound, um, so I would differentiate my sound from my writing. So I've been singing longer than I've been writing, and I've been writing poetry longer than I've been writing music. So the um it's a bit there's a bit of a distinction. It might not be clear to everybody, but it's very it's there's a bit of a distinction for me. So for my music, I think that my music is more um, um influenced by genres. And people. So, um, I listened to, I, so I started off singing classical music at four years old or four, I think I was put into a very little children's classical music program and I did that till I was, and I sang classical music till I was in my final class in high school. And so imagine singing from four to your, your final class in high school. So perhaps maybe four to your 16. Um, I also, studied like did actual music till till the fifth year in high school so like 
the theory of music, like I, so it was an actual thing that I studied. And so the, that was my sound. I didn't enjoy it much. I appreciate now I like classical music, but I didn't like it so much then because it was very, it's hard. It's very disciplined. You don't really do a lot. So there was a lot of, you know, uh, uh, R&B music around. You don't sing an extra note in classical music or, <laughs> you know, you sing exactly what is in the script and what you've been given. And so I didn't appreciate it. I appreciate it better now. You know? So that was my background. Then I, gospel music. I sang in church. So I was in church choir. I was in all the choirs in junior. I sang a cappella too. So I've done a bit of, um, I've done a little bit of then when I was in uni, I was in a band called Secret of David. That is where I would say my, I started really finding myself as an artist. In the, in this band, you had to learn an instrument. So I picked the guitar. Um, we learned the instruments with the theory of music. We did all these things. And then we started writing. And in the band, we only sang our own songs. So we had to um, write the song. So I, we had writing boot camps and all that. So that's where I would say I really gave myself the permission to um, start saying, oh, I wrote something. Would you guys look at it? Um, and I don't think I thought it was good. <laughs> I didn't think it was good. I just had, you had to write and submit something. So I wrote and submitted. Eventually, they started using some of the songs I wrote. Uh, um, but yeah, that was it. But in terms of songwriting, my... Influence my confidence as a songwriter has come more recently. Perhaps like maybe two years ago. It's not like it's not that and it's not that it's not as long as I've been writing. So I've only I've only finally allowed myself to say, okay, this is how I write because of certain artists. Dante Bowie, John Bellion, Jonathan McReynolds, you know, artists who Brandy Carlyle, artists who just um write. I didn't know you can really just write what you thought. I thought that you had to because you know songwriting right, is structure, yeah. you have to do this, yeah, this you have yeah, to preach, yeah. you have to pre-chorus, you have to chorus. So there's so many rules, but then you have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, then you have Adele who would write, Simi who would write, there's so many people who would just write stuff and I'll be like, so you really can um, write, I, I remember hearing that, you know, Simi, when she got into the industry, the music industry, so Simi Sola is a Nigerian artist. Oh, yeah. And, and when she got into the music industry, it was, someone said people didn't like her sound because they said her voice was too light and Nigerians didn't like. I was so shocked because the first time I heard that, I was like, yes. Yeah, so, so I really did feel like same thing with Thames, um, oh, who yeah. everybody's making a big deal about now. So I feel <laughs> like, um, so it's a thing. I think it's people's prerogative to say they don't like you, but I think as an artist, you should just know it's your job to do what you're here to do. And actually, Mama Dan also says something. She says that as a writer, you cannot think of the audience at the time you're writing. Mm. So, um, my influences are definitely all these people. I mean, Dante Bowie, John Bellion. And, and another thing, I'll, uh, the last thing I'll say about this is that I don't listen to them that much. I hardly ever listen to them. Like uh, um, all these people, I love them, and I. But the thing is that I listen to their work almost studiously, so I absorb it. I'm the average listener, and so I can be done with it quicker. And so I take it and I carry it with me, but I don't listen to them as often as people would think. Oh yeah. I mean that's. um, I don't even know what to say. Like I think you've said it so well. Especially with, and, and thank you for working us through just how you started, like your path. And <laughs> interesting about the classical music part of it. And just giving homage to those who have shaped you, but then you also finding your voice. And, and I think it's just the cycle of a creative. And I don't know if maybe in the beginning you struggled with, because um, I, I did when I 
even started writing and um, doing podcasts and all that, will be how how much is you almost like so there's this um, um, writer Cleon that still like an artist and I think it was when I read his book that it really set me free because again thank you, you for not, sharing it with me that was oh, you're so welcome. good did you, did you did you read more about him Oh, yeah. child I shared me with so many friends it was, uh, it was uh, you know you need to I feel every artist needs to listen to him because yes. he's just one of those people that comes to the scene and it's like it's okay yes yes whatever yes. you are it's okay you know yes. so yeah yes 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 because we're not there's nothing new you know and we're a combination of so many things so many people that have poured into us sometimes it's even unconscious I come up with some ideas and I know okay, it feels original, but then is it really real original? Maybe I learned it by you know, passive, you know, diffusion, or but maybe I read it somewhere many many years ago, and so many things came together to form that idea. And sometimes you might not even be able to be able to properly cite your sources, but sometimes again, I feel like this is why when I'm in a creative mode, I don't like to watch or listen to anything or even read anything because I want my thoughts to be, you know, as and I use that word very carefully because nothing is ever really truly pure anymore. But I guess my question for you will be for those that are struggling with that creative part of them, as far as being authentic, because you gave us examples of how when you came to Lagos and being in the pool of, you know, hyper-talented people and how Lagos, Lagos always has that impact of it to humble you. But then how have you been able to, I guess, um, hone your craft this far? And I know you just, you just started and I, I know one day you're going to get to that point where you know, you people, I, I want people to get to know more about your work and how you're able to manage that will be a totally different conversation, which we had. But I know with the, with an artist, one of your, um, one of your goals really is to make sure that your work is getting to the right people. As far as the numbers, that's, you know, very relative. So I guess my question for you would be, how have you been able to sustain your creative, um, um, your creative streak for so long? Considering those might be struggling to even, you know, um, get started. People have like that failure to even launch. What has that taken, you know, for you? And I imagine this of discipline, but what kind of words of encouragement would you have to, would you have for creatives who are still trying to struggle to find their voice or even maybe, um, craft, um, hone their craft in a world that is already so super saturated? I don't know if that question makes sense. I kind of feel like I was rambling. It made perfect sense to me. It's a hard question, um, but I, it made perfect sense to me. So I'll just try to slowly, I realize I also speak very fast, but I'll try to slowly speak um, and answer, and answer uh, this question. So a friend of mine said something to me, he, or a friend of mine said something to another friend who then said it to me. And um, he said to her that, you know, there's something very interesting about Koli. You know, and, um, and he said it is that 15 years ago he was doing the same thing he's doing now. And so, um, yes, 15 years ago I was just 14, but I was, um, but I was writing poetry for people in, in school. So I didn't know that, you know, I was writing poetry and giving to people, oh, I wrote this for you, you know. And so, but I wasn't trying to be a poet. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be a poet. I just discovered that, like, you know, writing was something I loved and I'd write about people and give it to them. And he always brought them so much joy to just, um, you know, read something I wrote about them. I don't know. There's something about, you know, writing something 
there's something for people that is, you know, it's not everybody who writes in their love language, you know, but for people who um, can receive the spoken word well or the written word well, who that's a thing for them. For those people, um, there's something about writing for them that makes them feel seen, known, and like, I don't know, there's just something about it. And so I realized that, I realized the power of um, art very early in, in my life. And it started from me. So the art changed me first. You know, writing for me for the longest time was just therapy, therapeutic. I would write things I couldn't say. I would um, write things that I was afraid to admit, you know, and just really write traumas, experiences, right? So a lot of, a lot of my work is about myself, especially uh, a lot of my work leading up to last year. And so um, what I'll say to people who are struggling with, you know, um, just um, being... Um, staying at it is that um, you have to love it and if you don't be honest with yourself you know I met this girl who said to me that she's about to quit guitar and she just wants to come to me and she hopes I can tell her something that will make her not quit and I said oh how long have you been playing and she said one year and I said oh yeah you've been playing for one year and you're already ready to quit I think maybe the the fact that she wasn't getting engagement she wasn't getting a lot of people like liking her posts and stuff discouraged her. I've had so many performances that were so trash that I said, I promised myself I would never write again. But then a few days later, I recovered mm-hmm. and I was writing again. Why? Because writing, for, I wouldn't say that I'm so I'm disciplined. I'll say like, it's just like second nature to me. I would, I'm always somewhere writing. I may not be posting it when I'm somewhere writing a song or writing a poem or writing a book or writing something. There's a lot of work that I write that nobody knows about. But, um, and I have more work written. I have books and books of songs that I've written and books and books of poems, you know, um, folders and folders of work that I've done that I haven't shared and I probably may never share. But I just think that, um, it's just that, and it's not unique to me. I'm not unique for, you know, but it's just the process of almost every artist that you know, everybody who, um, is doing something out there is more talented than you mean, that you may know. You learn that talent is the best minimum. Nobody claps for you or rewards you for being talented because that's just, it's the, it's, it goes without saying that you do. It's all the other stuff that makes you stand out. I think that um, for me, um, I've been doing the same thing that I'm doing. For instance, the videos, the poetry, and all, I've been sharing original work on my page and hardly ever do covers. But how is it that now, all of a sudden, a, lot, a few more people, and so it's not a lot of people, but a few more people are beginning to say, oh my God, I'm so you know, um, moved by what you write and what you share. I don't think it's because I got smarter or I started writing better. Mm. I think it's because I was just there and one day they found my work and all my work met them at yeah. the time when my work should have met them, when they could have, re- when they could receive it. So, it, but I had to have been there at that time. I had to have continued up until that point. So I think you just do it. You don't worry too much about whether it's good, whether it's bad. I'll tell you this. I did this exercise. So I, I initially, when I used to share poetry, I used to share it with pictures. And so I couldn't tell initially whether people were liking the pictures of the poetry. So I didn't know whether, I didn't know whether I was getting better. So I was, I was getting like, maybe I'll post this thing and I'll get 300 people like it. And, and for me, 300 likes was such a big thing because that was, oh, I, yeah, that's I don't think people. I like it. So, <laughs> that's 300 people like it. But then I realized that it could be the picture that these people are engaging with. I decided to stop posting pictures of myself or pictures that had been taken or collaborating with other artists just yet because I wanted to grow as a writer. And I started posting just um, the poetry and I went from 300 and something likes to 15, 10, 2, oh, 3. Oh. 
And you know, so I realized that I needed to reconnect. So people connected with the image of me, with me, the person they lied with, you know, and all this, or they connected with a picture that was very visually appealing. But for them to connect with the poem, I had to do the work. I had to find my own people, I had to, you know, write for them, write about them, you know, and all that. So it's been a journey for me to grow back to that kind of, so those kind of numbers and that kind of engagement, but with just the art and nothing more. But it was, a, it was something I challenged myself to do because I wanted to, you know, be good at this. But because that's, for me, it's more important. You know, I have all the time to become successful, but this is the best time to be good at what you do. Well, I mean, you said it all. I think, I don't even know what's even, I mean, how do you top that? But one thing I picked from, I mean, I picked a couple of things is, you know, keep going and you have to start somewhere, right? And I think uh, one of the things my, one of my mentors, creative mentors told me about was just show up for yourself. Once you feel like inspiration is going to come, then we can start writing. Uh-uh. You just show up. I mean, when you're supposed to show up, show up. Even if you're not writing a lot of stuff, even if it's just spending time thinking about what next you're going to write, but when you're supposed to show up, just show up. And I think from your work, you can, it shows that you have that dedication because I follow you on Instagram and you, you're like, you're, you're showing up more and more. I mean, I know it's not everything you write that you share, but if I were to look at your Instagram page, I'm seeing more stuff come out from there and even seeing you just sharing more and more of yourself. And so thank you, thank you for that response. And I, I hope, you know, our listeners can able to, can be able to get one or two things from them, which is just showing up and also, you know, keep going. Um, keep going. One day your people will find you. It might not be in the same way you wanted to, but, um, keep going. Now, um. No, I, so I want to ask you a question. Oh, oh. Can I do that? <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> it's rare to have people ask questions on the podcast, but I'm curious to know, okay. All right. Yes, please go ahead. So you said something about inspiration. I just want to know, how does it work for you? Do you work when you're inspired? Or have you gotten to that point in your craft or your master, your, you know, your mastering of your craft where you can call inspiration forth when you need it? You know, that's a very loaded question. Uh, I just think I have a full-time day job because if I, all I depended on was on my craft for sustenance, I'll be the definition of a very hungry artist. And I don't have a lot of discipline when it comes to my um, craft in the sense of I tend to always tie to my emotions. Like, when I, you can always tell when mm-hmm. I write things that I'm, I'm high on emotions because I just get the words out. I don't have to think about it. It's, it's kind of like just busting through me. And those times are good because you need to put them out. And writing for me is a form of um, exercising the pain or whatever high emotions I'm feeling. But you can't always keep running on high emotions. And that's the part I'm still trying to learn. How to just write without having to wait for that emotion or that muse to be or that monkey around your neck. Um, and I think we've been sold a lie about inspiration. There's so many things that you can be inspired by. It doesn't have to be high. And so and I say that as someone that I, I don't think I'm very disciplined when it comes to my craft. I'm still always waiting for that high, which, you know, is a very wrong way to be creative. And the problem I started seeing is that since I wasn't even honoring the process of showing up all the time, my creative juice is not flowing as much as I wanted to because I've always relied on this hyper state of um, emotionality to create. But you shouldn't always wait for that. You know, just maybe give yourself 30 minutes a day. I'm just going to show up for myself. Whatever comes out, fine, put it out there. So um, I think I'm the wrongest person to ask that because I think inspiration is something we've been sold a lie about. You shouldn't always write when you're inspired. I think writing as a, or whatever you're creating, that's inspirational enough. Uh, so yeah, but again, I'm still, I'm still learning. 
that's interesting because for me that the reason why I ask that is because you know I used to say that I'm one of those artists that needs inspiration to write, but now not so much. I realize that it's overrated. Writer's block is overrated. All these other things are just ideas oh. that I receive from someone. What what yes. I actually have is not writer's block. Is fear of being trash, you know. So there's such high standards for work and so every day i just tell Mm. myself that now now the way i look at it is that my job as a writer is to write it's not to write good work because i don't have those standards for any other thing i do as a lawyer i don't expect to always you know to win every case to you know i don't have on on unrealistic standards and also i trained to be a lawyer for years and years and then after i graduated from uni i spent years and years still training to learn and i'm still learning now after I, I finished law school in 2014, mm, but till, mm. in 2015 rather. But till now, I'm still in, I'm still learning. So I can't, um, I can't, um, I, so I can't just start writing or put out my first album, but and then expect to the expectation to be. It's a thing that like we just we learn from you know social media, the internet, um, also we learn from just the way the entertainment world works and the media and entertainment world works. You get to hear the success stories and they are, they are, craft, they are crafted in a way that they'll be engaging. So they always push them to be too good to be true. The truth is, if you really meet these people and know the stories, it's very it's very normal stories. Every writer I look up to has yep. like, they, for every book they share, they have like 99 trash, you know, things. Chimamanda has, so she knows she lost this Akenya friend. He, she used to share her work with him. Um, um, this guy from um, Coldplay, he said the same thing that they meet, they sing, and then they yeah, have Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they have like yeah. baskets, they yeah. put the trash songs. And I can't believe that this will, Ed Sheeran recently released a video of him, a big voice note of him in the studio trying to like just play his guitar and sing and how like his, his voice was messing up. And everybody's always like, oh, you know, you're so perfect. And he was like, no, I practice. <laughs> and <laughs> I think. Shocking. Yes. So these, these, these human stories are very, very, very necessary for people like, us who for people like me who aren't you know exactly there as I hold themselves to like unrealistic standards everybody's just like it's just like every other job you know so um it's just that your job gets to put you on tv sometimes you know and gets to put you on so that's just the difference and so perhaps because your job is always on blast that's why you always feel like um, you have to be perfect all the time, but it's not possible. We are just people. And that's yeah. not, so perfect music doesn't make you a good, um, musician. The perfect writing doesn't make you a good writer. Um, the ability to connect is what makes you great at what you do. Even if your writing is so simple in poetry that, you know, we are people who expect high falutin, you know, big words and everything. But sometimes the most known and the most successful poets are writing very simple English because they are writing for people. They are not writing for other poets. They are writing for regular people, you know. So, um, that for me, it's just um, it's something I'm trying to learn now. But I was interested in knowing what your what, what your own experience was. So thanks for sharing. It. Oh yeah, that's it. Oh no, of course, and I totally agree with you. I have a friend who believes that um, writer's block is a myth. That it doesn't exist. Like, like if you tell, he will argue with you. Like, no, it doesn't exist. And thanks for that reminder too. To you know, just keep producing, keep producing, and don't think about the audience. Think more about what you want to get out there, right? And what a perfect yeah. analogy of you, you know, talking about you going to law school, like learning that crap, and then practicing it, and you still don't even have 
your goal is not always to win even though you would like to win but you know it's not always feasible but you still show for your clients you still get your work done why can't i be the same with our creative outlet Yep, so I, I have a couple of questions. Ten years later, okay, I'm still afraid to. Uh, no, I'm just. I was just going to add. Right. Like, you know, ten years later, I'm still afraid some in some circles to say I'm a lawyer because I still feel Aww. sometimes I haven't earned that title yet. And it's not imposter syndrome. It's just good old. I know. I'm not. There are some. Yeah. There are some things I just don't know yet. And so I think that we should also allow ourselves to exist in that space to as creatives. Sorry, go on. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Oh no, no, oh, no. Please don't apologize. I mean, you are the guest and. So, um, I want to ask you this next question and it might make you blush a little bit because I, I reached out to a mutual friend for me about what kind of questions to ask you. And she wanted to know this. She said, and it's also, it's also going to tie to your music. Something she said about you. And I should say again, for me, somebody I, um, I, I respect her a lot and, and don't tell her this. I hope she never gets to listen to this part. I heard it's going to swap. Is um she, when she was passes compliments to people, you never really hear her say give compliments out easily like that. But when she says things about people, I I tend to believe her more than most other people. Um, um, if she, she gives me a compliment, I'm about to be very shocked. <laughs> right. So yeah, she did. She said I should ask you like you that you seem to understand women in a very weird way. <laughs> that she's she actually said something like you're yeah, one of the very few people that she knows that. You have a, like a deep understanding of women and it flows her. And then in your office, they call you our sister. And, and I, I sense, I could see that in your writing, not this our sister part, but more of the, there's a tender sensibility about you, right? And it's not, you know, I don't know how to des- describe it. You're able to access emotions that stereotypically we don't see in men. And it's not about weakness. It's just, there's a strength to it, right? And I imagine that there are men who are struggling to even express that part of it. But we've got, we are conditioned to live in a world where men should be setting, you know, um, be, be, you know, um, stoic and, and not show emotions and just be, you know, very, um, some, somehow on the outside. Like what? I'm sure if this is not the first time you're hearing somebody describe you as someone that is, you know, well connected to that part of you that, you know, seems to really understand women. But how did that come about? Was it, you know, I know you have like um, sisters as well, but what, what, how did that come about? And yeah, so that was the feedback she wanted me to give you. And also the question. It's a very, very insightful question, actually. And I'm very, <laughs> first of all, like, I've had so much fun here <laughs> because like the question that I haven't uh, been asked these types of questions, like um, anywhere else in any you. kind of thing I've done. So, um, this is what I'll say about that. First of all, if I can attempt to answer the question. So the first thing is that I don't know. I didn't know that other men were not like this because I didn't really know a lot of other men. I just knew women. <laughs> you know, growing up, I was oh. surrounded by women. I was really, most of the people in my house growing up were women. My sisters, my cousins, my um, mother, those were the people that my father is an academic and he always worked. Um, he always worked outside Calabar, so he would be around during the weekends. My brother was in boarding school. So I really didn't know. I knew, I started knowing there was something different about me because like, you know, you know, kids are mean. They'll say everything they see. And, um, I was, um, <laughs> I was effeminate growing up. And so like, I would have people say, Oh, you this know how men behave. This is not, I never, I didn't like the stereotypical things men like. I didn't like soccer. I didn't watch soccer. I didn't watch, you know, there were just so many things that people did that I, and I also was like a bit of that kind of kid that could make his own play by himself. 
So my music, my, you would be surprised. I wasn't doing music with a lot of people. Like I didn't have a lot of people doing, it wasn't the thing that was done around me. You know, I kind of chose my own path and my own interests, did the things I liked and nobody really bothered me or tried to um, change me. But I got bullied a lot when I was growing up about, so I always thought it was a bad thing. You know, it didn't become a good thing until very recently. You know, they, I once read this post where uh, I read this post on um, Facebook where they said the same things you were bullied about as a child are the very same things that make you a unique adult. And I read it resonated so strongly. They say I was teased about liking music, singing, writing poetry, all these things that now are like, oh my God, you, you do this and this is so amazing. There were things out. So it's, taken me a bit of time to adjust to um, this. So what happened to me was that I developed a bit of a thick skin. I I, 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 I do care what people say, but people don't know that I do care what they say. And so I basically uh, am what I am, and I would say what I want to say and express myself the way I would want to express it. And I always made people feel like I didn't care what they thought about. Eventually people started believing and I didn't care, and they just started falling in line, you know. They did they would talk pick on other people, talk about other people and then they'll leave me be. So I had a lot of space to develop my personality without yeah, because I, I don't know. So I didn't really um, think of myself as unique or as um, This question you just asked me is a very important question to me um, because it's a very very important part of my process and to um, and and it gives like very very deep insight to not just my art but to who I am as an artist. So it's very very it's very insightful and I and, and I, I like that you took it there. So for the longest time, my I thought I only wrote for women. I didn't think I was I thought I I was talking to women. Because that was the only audience I had access to, you know, who I didn't, I didn't know any man was, um, and that's one of the reasons why what has happened to me recently is very new to me that men are DMing me, um, and saying, oh, they are reading my work and they are crying, you know, and the fact that a man would admit that he cries, it's this, all these things are new to me because, you know, for me, I felt excluded from masculinity as a child because I didn't fit, um, so a man is a person, so I used to think a man is a person who liked blue, who watched football, who walked a certain way, who talked a certain way, who um, liked certain things. You know, initially, like, boys only like boys. Then eventually boys started liking girls, but they don't like girls in the sense that they want to be friends with girls, you know. So, like, the yeah. cycle yeah. of stereotypical yeah. masculinity, I didn't, I felt excluded from that because that's not what my process was. But what I didn't know is that a man is not, it's not, it's not easy to define what a man should be in just like a sentence. So I'm talking descriptive and, um, describe a man in just one sentence. A man is a person who likes football, you know, and, but as simple as this may sound to us now, because, you know, the world has taken the conversation there. I didn't know, I didn't have all these tools. I didn't have this, um, this range accessible to me. So I just felt like, you just have to be what you are, you know. And so I, I, I would write my thing. I would sing my, because I tried and I tried more. I'll say I tried to, you know, the other things to try to, you know. I, I learned to walk, walk the way men walk, you know. And after I've learned this, I've learned a new thing. I've learned a new thing. Speak, you know, um, a certain way. 
they would still say there's one more thing you are not, you know. So eventually I was just like, you know what, I'm happier when I'm just doing my own thing, you know. And most of my friends were women and most of the people who would um, hang out with me were girls, you know. You know how girls, the friendship for women is very different, you know. <laughs> Men, like friendships has like limits, but for women, they go all the way, you know. They would champion your causes, they show up for your events, they would... I was referred to this show by a woman, you know, so, um, if I right. <laughs> so, um, and women will give feedback. They'll say, Oh, your work, this is how it impacted me. So I don't have like an entire series of um, poetry that, that was written just to women. I wrote the first series and then women said, The last love song. Uh, yeah. The one about, and then I like that one. <laughs> yes. And they started DMing me and girls said DMing me and saying, Oh, I want you to write my story too. It was so deep. It was such a big deal for me to like, have people write me back and say, please write about me too. This is my story. You know, that, that level of engagement, I've only had, I, prior to perhaps this year or last year, I'd only ever really had it from women. So in my mind, my audience was women. And so in, so um, when I would write, I'm thinking on the person that is listening is a woman. I didn't think that men would say, oh, that is... Um, and it's not because I felt like, oh, they are bad for not listening to my... I just felt like everybody had their audience. And I felt like the way I wrote, I felt it was a bit too exposing or too, you know, the, the way men are um, socialized, it would take a bit more than they are willing to give to engage with work like this. So I didn't yes. I didn't think I was... Um, but lately, I've been very shocked, you know, um, men would write me and everything and i i really I, i'm here for it I'm, like no shade no uh, i'm very very happy to like finally exist in a world where men can accept can allow themselves to be other things other than like what the group says but yeah this is the reason why um i i um first of all i was in a community, I was socialized in a community where mostly most of the people around me were women and so that was just how i i was raised and then um which is not ideal, by the way, because boys need boys to boys need men to to also yes, men for yes. them. Yes, it's a good balance. You need both. Yes, you need, yeah. you need both. Um, but um, the fact that I'm very very touched with what people would call stereotypically the feminine side is because it's just because that's how language was formed for me. That's how communication was formed for me. And that I didn't know that you know you could not cry or you could not be emotional or you couldn't you know feel things because nobody told me don't do that. Men don't do that until my character was already formed. You know, by the time like I started knowing all these things. So that's why I sound the way I sound. And I, and it's it's not me trying to speak to that audience. I just naturally. That's how the words come out of me, and that's how like the things come out. It's and it's actually reflection reflection of my real life relationships. <laughs> I mean, bravo, bravo! And I'm not going to ask you to speak on behalf of every man out there because I I know we also have stereotypes about men that we shouldn't have, and uh, but I'm glad you're seeing ways to actually involve more people in your art. I mean, we know women consume more art than, you know, men. You just said is the reason why male superstars, like studies have shown that this is the reason why more male superstars are, like male superstars are bigger than the female, their female counterparts. Because most of the fans yes, who engage yes. with art are women, and women like generally feel like, you know, would want to stand men more. Yes, yes, yes. And then, and then, so the song I shared with my friend was beautiful, and I, I, I told him I dedicated that to him because 
you know, the song is about the, those spoiler alerts. Yeah, I'm gonna look at the song. Yes, I said to my male friend because there's a part of it that says, you know, you touch up your mask and you wear, you touch up your mask and then you leave the door or something like that. I don't, I don't remember the exact words. And he's someone that doesn't really know how to express himself a lot. And I wanted to give him that gift of me. We do this thing randomly where I send him songs like, this is your gift of music today. And I find like, or maybe he might share it with me. We do, we kind of exchange art like that. And he, 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 I mean, he was very touched by that. So even though you think you're writing to women, but it's also another validation that um, your song is also reaching across. And um, so I know, I know that you just released an album this um, year, February 2022. Congratulations! In a world where it's easy to re- release a single here and there, because I'm able to listen to albums anyway. I think Beyonce was it the other time that was bemoaning the the fact that people don't. I'm surprised, and I was surprised with my people's reception. Oh yeah, I mean, please keep it going. Please keep it going. I love, I love your jam session. Because I think in project. Yes, the Owan Yoma cover that you did with Margaret Abu and um, was it Salem? Yes. I think you should do more of that because I mean, your your album had just the audio part of it, which was okay. But I just love you saying your natural element, you know, with your friends. You could just tell that you had a lot of fun during that pilot session. I like to see more of that. So. That's one feedback from one of your fans. Um, but tell us a little bit about just the album. I have my favorites of the songs there, but I think everything was good. But I just have my favorites. But like, you know, you have many kids, but you we always know there's always a favorite. Can you tell us tell the audience um, the album and where they can get it as well? So my album is um, on all music streaming platforms, and um, oh well, the the most popular ones, um, and and. Um, Please also follow me on YouTube. I'm trying to grow my YouTube following. Um, but yeah, that's where you find my music. And he didn't for, he forgot to mention him. It's called Welcome to My Joy. It has seven songs in it and seven amazing songs. You can also find it on iTunes. Um, and Koli, where can they find you on Instagram if you want them to follow you as well? What's oh, your name like on Holly. Instagram and on YouTube? Man like Holly on Instagram Man Man like on Twitter. In any event, this has really been fun. Um, talking to you about just you know um your work and i think you're a beautiful person and i think it shows in the kind of art you're trying to put like showing us just the softer side of life and i mean we live in a world where some things are overemphasized than other things and how much more coming from um a man that is you know quite as accomplished as you and so i hope and i pray you keep you know your craft going because i know it's a matter of time for the right kind of people to find it. and But I'm not worried about that because you've, you've shown that discipline over and over again. And so I cannot wait to see more from Koli. No, no pressure there, okay? And yeah, thanks for even sharing about your passion and uh, things you're, you're really into and just your process behind it. Um, it's also very humbling to see that even though we what we get to see is just what you put out there, but the behind the scenes, you know, the struggles, the um, what has shaped you and all those kind of fancy stuff. So on behalf of everybody in the podcast, I just want to say thank you so much, Kobe, for um, sharing of yourself today and spending this um, Friday, I think this afternoon in your end, morning on my end with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mo, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Mo, for having me. This is, I, I said to Mo at the beginning, this is my first podcast anything ever. And... Um, All right, it's going to come. <laughs> I enjoyed this. And we get... We get to be the privilege of, you know, um, doing that first, but I know it's a matter of time before you start blasting the airways and get to radio and TV interviews. And they will say, stay here first. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you so much. Man. And I will put all of your, of course, I'll put all the links to your um, socials and your music and everything on the podcast. But please, if there are other ways you want to come back, I love to have you back again to talk about whatever else you want to talk about. Maybe an album launch or however we can help you. Please don't be far away from us. Thank you, Mo. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye, guys. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs> the close of the show will be as one of Coley's song called Beautiful. It's actually my favorite song so far of the seven song album he has. And I'm dedicating this song to every one of you listening to this episode. Now go do beautiful things. Thank you and have a good day. Bye. I see the fire that you hide in your soul. If you're a hero, you're hiding it well. They don't see you coming. They don't hear you enter. Even when you're screaming, you're blending the crowd and you. You never were one for loud jewelry or clothes. You never were one for exotic perfume. But I see you just as you are. And I call you beautiful. People are crying for help in your post. People are broken and don't even know. Put on your makeup and put on a show. They say your beauty is no longer involved. But I see your ordinary shoes and your clothes. I see your face and you don't even know that I see you just as you are. And I call you beautiful. Begin the pieces, straining your back. You need a friend, but you won't even ask. Wake up in the morning, just another morning. Touch up on your mask and you head out the door. And you, you're looking without for what's only within. Love is a person that's never just as you are, and he calls you 